From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, October 8th. The double homicide of locals Kylan Schulte and Crystal Turner is still unsolved. It's been over six weeks now, and the Moab community continues to wrestle with their questions, their anxiety, fear, and grief. This violence to this queer couple, to the people who love them, to our community at large, has been absolutely terrible. In light of these experiences, KZMU recognized a need for stories from LGBTQ plus locals to broadcast on our airwaves to our community. So five weeks ago now, we launched a project called Lift Up LGBTQ plus Visibility. Regular listeners will know that we've been airing these intimate interviews, stories really, from our local queer community every Friday now. It's been our hope that this project has helped deepen understanding and empathy within our community and also reinforced a sense of belonging. The following interview will conclude our first series of Lift Up. Yes, we do plan to have a second series in the future. For the final interview this time around at least, we have two storytellers. I'll let co-producer Ginger Allen introduce them. Sylvie was born and raised in Moab, but left when she was 18 to pursue a college degree at the base of the Wasatch Mountains in Utah County. Later, she found herself in the dry north coast of Peru, digging up bones, which somehow landed her in the rainy north coast of Spain, teaching English. About five years ago, she returned to the desert where her essence, soul, DNA feels at home. Since then, she has built on her DIY skills, served in local restaurants, started her own business, and joined Grand County EMS. She spends her time with family and loved ones and occasionally wanders the desert, wondering how to chase the horizon and put down roots at the same time. Matthew was born in the Utah Valley to Caribbean parents. As an undergrad, he co-chaired his university's Queer Student Association, and his capstone project involved archiving queer history in literature, philosophy, and films. His work has been published in various places, including Peculiar, the first queer literary journal in Utah. He first landed in Moab during Pride Week in October 2012 and has been living here permanently since 2018. He works at the Grand County High School and Back of Beyond Books. He is also community youth mentor and DJ at KZMU. Well, my name is Sylvia Bentley. I'm pretty sure that I'm 33 years old. I forget sometimes. Um, And I was born and raised in Moab. My name is Matthew A. Jonasant. I am 33 years old and I've been living in Moab since 2018. When I met Sylvia, it was when I was transitioning from being super, super embedded and very deep in the Mormon community that I was in growing up in Utah County, in Utah Valley. And when you, whenever anyone kind of separates themselves from that kind of community, it can be very dramatic because you go from having everyone in your life that you know, coworkers, schoolmates, whatever it is, your dentist, all of those people are like, you know, people that you see on Sundays and like people that you know, and you go from having that kind of general community to having nobody. Mm, So when I made that transition, I went really quickly to having no friends and no real community. And one of the first people that I met in trying to make new kinds of relationships was Sylvia. And in that sense, Sylvia is probably the person that's been in my life the most amount of time, the longest outside of anyone that's related to me by blood. 
why were you at a point in your life where you were seeking um, a different community? Um, it's such a complicated uh, answer. Um, one of the things that makes my Mormon exit, quote unquote, narrative a little bit different from others is that my family and my parents actually left the Mormon church years before I did. Uh, I actually parted ways with my family's connections and some of my friends' connections because I was interested in still pursuing a connection to the Mormon church, but in my own way. And so it was kind of a confusing time because I was thinking about deciding to enter a homosexual relationship, and I was also reading philosophy and I was also exposing myself to uh, religious and spiritual texts from different religions. But, I, but the thing was that I actually still wanted to be Mormon. At the same time, I was sort of discovering this gay identity, and that wasn't fitting in with a lot of gay people at the time in Utah County either. I would be told that I wasn't gay enough uh, on first dates and that sort of thing. There's, there's kind of this funny thing where I wasn't just like rebelling against the church and going and becoming a different thing. I actually was still trying to be a Mormon. So for me growing up in a small town and eventually coming out as queer, I would say, um, I actually didn't know that I was attracted to women for a really long time. I mean, I had like massive, there are crushes in retrospect. It wasn't really until I was in my 20s and actually in Europe while I was there in Europe, I was starting to kind of come to terms, if that's the right word. That's not really the right way to frame it. But I was just realizing that that was another aspect of my identity that I needed to explore. And uh, when I was in Moab growing up, I was a lot more aware of maybe some sort of gender fluidity on my half behalf rather than like an actual sexual attraction to women. Um, so I can remember when I was a really little kid and I would go to the pool and I had a dad who basically let me dress myself and he didn't have any sort of opinion about what I should wear. I wanted to wear swim trunks. I didn't want to wear swimsuits. I didn't want to wear a bikini. I had a normal little kid body at that time and I didn't understand why boys had to wear swim trunks and girls had to wear something else so i would wear swim trunks to the pool um and when i was really exceptionally little you know like six or seven it was fine but as i started to get you know eight a little bit older but still in a kid's body like i started getting treated differently for that um and I had like swim coaches, swim instructors make me wear t-shirts in the pool and things like that. So I was becoming aware that there were expectations for me um, that I didn't understand at a pretty young age. And I think that would happen anywhere, you know. It's not that I was in rural America or anything at that time. It was just I had a parent who was sort of letting me express myself in a way that made sense to me. And I ha was butting against... Um, basically cultural norms that um, I was becoming increasingly aware of. Um, and it got to the point where actually I remember walking out of the, so there the boys and the girls bathrooms were divided 
and I would go in the girls' bathroom, I I was I felt like I was a girl. There was never any question of what gender do I feel that I am. I was I just identified as as a woman, and I still do. Um, and I would wear swim trunks, and I would get asked by kids like, "Why don't you have a swimsuit?" And I would be like, "I don't want to wear a swimsuit," and it seemed very natural. Um, to just wear what I wanted and I would walk out of the bathroom to get into the pool and I'd have lifeguards like blow whistles at me and they'd flag me and they'd wave me over and they'd be like why were you in the girl's bathroom you're a boy and I'd be like no I'm not a boy I'm a girl and then I would get you know grilled about like well why aren't you wearing an appropriate swimsuit uh things like that and I would just be like I I'm wearing I'm just wearing what I feel comfortable wearing I just want to wear swim trunks Um, and it got to the point where I was like, man, this is like bothering people so much. I guess I'll just use the boys bathroom and then I won't get, (laughs) I won't get in trouble anymore for wearing swim trunks. So I went into the boys bathroom, um, and it was weird in there. It was like cold and it was a different color and like they had chains to use the shower. You couldn't just turn the knob and like the water was cold and stuff. And I was like, this is uncomfortable and I don't like this place but no one bothered me while I was in there so that was interesting I remember the first time you articulated to me that you thought there was a possibility that you might be queer that you might like women and it's kind of a vivid memory for me because I remember that we were in your car and we were driving past uh, we were driving down Main Street past what would eventually become the Spoke. And uh, it was like that kind of classic experience you can hear described sometimes when people come out to their friends and their friends are like, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a little bit like that, but like it was like you were trying to say it and then I think you were kind of hesitating to say it a certain way and then suddenly you were like, I think I might like girls. And it, like, it changed the air in the car. And I waited for a moment and I was like, yeah, I mean, I think about the guys and, like... <laughs> but, like, I remember that moment really vividly. Well, like, well, okay, so, like, growing up, you know, um, I... We used the word tomboy, which I'm not super fond of, but that's what I was described as and labeled as by my family. Not everyone in my family, but... And people around me would call me a tomboy. So there was kind of this expectation around me from family that I was a lesbian actually my grandma asked me when I was 17 like point blank Sylvia are you a lesbian and I was like no and I felt really um resistant to that label because it seemed so box-like and I was definitely exploring my sexuality and I was also exploring my gender identity, which those are different things. And I think for me, I was much more hung up on questions of gender rather than questions of sexuality. So the the lesbian thing was um, kind of uh, abrasive, I would say. Not that there's anything, um, not that there's any shame in that label at all, but it just didn't feel right for me. So I was kind of resistant to coming out at all because I felt like I had been predefined based on some preferences that I had that I also had a sexual identity that was attraction to women and I was struggling with that so it took me quite a while in my mid-twenties before I actually wanted to kind of own up to that a little bit. 
the the closest I got to like a coming out experience with my father, for whom my decision was a very dramatic thing. It was a super severe and, and awful thing. The closest we got to a discussion about it was uh, because of the precepts he had taught me about free will and making decisions and so forth and the value that he had for that he got to a point one day in our conversation about it where he was like but you understand that this isn't something you were born with this is something that you chose and the reason why I was able to flip the tables on him was because I was able to say you know dad actually yes that's it that is exactly how I feel and I know that because that's how you feel I know that you feel that decision and agency is a really important thing you need to respect the fact that I've made this decision and from that day forward he actually didn't bring it up ever again it became a thing that we kind of had uh, plowed over and so that's the only reason I was able to even like reach that bridge with my dad is because um it was kind of like a reversal of the same kind of argument he was thinking he would use against me. And then I was like, actually, it turns out that that's exactly my argument. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I think we're lucky in a way that we're kind of moving away from the coming out narrative. Because it implies someone's in the closet and that implies shame. 100%. And so the fact that we don't have to have that narrative necessarily I think is great because it means um well one I think we're seeing in media now like so many queer or gay or you know characters that don't have a coming out story they just are yeah and I think that's great that that character can exist as queer with no major origin story um because then that means like you can have a, a queer friend or a queer son, or a queer daughter, or, you know, queer uncle, or, you know, and they just are. And you don't have to question their, if they were born that way, or if they chose that, or anything like that. They can just be that. Mm-hmm. And it's, you can ask them about their experience, but it doesn't have to be, like, a traumatic birth, the way I think maybe it, it had to be for the people that came before us. And yeah. I think that's beautiful that we don't have to experience our queer identity as birth from trauma. Thank you so much to storytellers Sylvia and Matthew. And big thanks to Ginger Allen for conducting all of the interviews in the Lift Up series and to Sarah Mead for editing them. This concludes our first series of Lift Up LGBTQ plus visibility Like I said at the top, we do plan to have a second series in the future. If you've appreciated Lift Up, please let us know. And hey, it's Radiothon, that time of year where we ask for community support, and you can definitely give it to the Lift Up series. We have a dedicated page on our website where listeners can access all of these stories in one place. You can find it at Lift Up LGBTQ Plus Visibility under the Programs tab at kzmu.org. And finally, we thank all of our storytellers for sharing their vulnerability, emotional truths, and resiliency on our airwaves. It's truly been an inspiration and a comfort to us all. And now, the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories about the Moab area. 
A second body camera video from the August 12th response to a possible domestic violence situation was recently released by the Moab City Police Department. Doug McMurdo of the Times Independent has more. This is a video from the other officer who was on scene. Eric Pratt is that officer's name. Uh, if you watch that video, um, from a layman's perspective, when you when you look at it, it appears that um, uh, Officer Pratt uh, went out of his way mm. uh, to avoid arresting either Gabby or Brian Laundry um, to the to the point, you know, almost like a, I hate to use the word bully, but it seemed like he was almost bullying the other officer, mm. uh, and at the same time telling him that it was uh, uh, his call. The sheriff's office last week confirmed that the dispatcher was correct uh, who handled the 911 call on August 12th very clearly uh, stated that it was male-on-female violence and that um, they reviewed the tapes and the caller uh, did indeed say that uh, a a man slapped a woman. Uh Um, And that information was relayed to the police. Yes. The more important thing is uh, an advocate for uh, local mental health service said that based on her review of the video, the officers uh, acted appropriately. Mm -hmm. But I want to make sure that people understand that her comments are based on dealing with a potential domestic violence situation, the questions that were asked. I question whether or not she has the expertise mm. to make that determination. I would think it would take a another police officer to know, uh, somebody that's been a, a police officer or a sheriff's deputy for, you know, years mm-hmm. and is very familiar with how these things go. Uh, did they do the lethality assessment? I mean, th- there's still a lot of questions out there. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, supposedly it's under investigation. I suppose we'll find out someday. So this advocate said that, in her opinion, the Moab Police Department handled the situation appropriately. However, there are still questions in your mind about um, whether they followed the letter of the law. Correct. Okay. You know, the law is... You know, if there's an aggressor and there's signs of violence, you know, injury, mm-hmm. somebody's got to go to jail mm-hmm. just to separate them and mm-hmm. make sure that they're apart. They got to go to jail and they can't bail out for 12 hours. I mean, that's the law. And that clearly did not occur. And that is the concerning. That is where a lot of people have concerns right now. And the lethality assessment that you mentioned earlier, I mean, that is that is a, a, a training that our law enforcement go through to figure out whether or not somebody might be at risk of dying right. um, from an intimate partner. Right. Um, and that's critically serious. Law enforcement encounter domestic violence situations a lot in our community. And I think I think we need to, to point out, I, I'm not um, pointing my finger at anybody, um, but I do hope that lessons are learned. Hmm. Whatever comes of this, I hope lessons are learned. Thank you, Doug, for that. Um, Moving on, there's a big story in the Times Independent this week about Moab's fire department. What is going on with uh, this crew? Well, first of all, they are talking about annexation because they often have to go outside of the district to tend to car wrecks, fires, what have you. You've got Moab Valley Fire Department, you've got the Castle Valley Fire Department, and you've got Thompson Springs Fire Department. And that's it for all of Grand County. Mm -hmm. But the district, uh, Moab Valley District, is pretty small compared to the actual 
area that they service. I see. Now, you know it's a volunteer department. So when they respond to out of district, sometimes these guys go out to I-70 for a truck fire or something. Right. They're out there for hours, uh-huh. not, not making a dime. Um, and putting their life on the line and missing work. So it's a real cumbersome burden for them. And uh, as a volunteer department, how long could they sustain that? And you've also got the issue of getting reimbursed. Mm. Uh, Grand County is responsible for fire protection. So behind all of this, and this is um, exclusive to KZMU, they will entertain the possibility of a tax increase in December. And I believe that they're going to, they they haven't made a decision on whether or not they want to raise taxes, but there are questions of um, the people in the district that pay those taxes Mm -hmm. subsidizing uh, fire protection for incidents that occur outside of the district. I see. I think they're looking to raise about 300000 There's There's two issues. There's one that you introduced. They're considering raising taxes, right? right? The Moab Valley Fire Protection District. There's also the issue of annexation. Like, do we annex? Do we make our district larger? Right. So it is fair. So the people here in Moab aren't subsidizing service in Thompson Springs. Right. But it's not that cut and dried because what you have um, right now, according to the chief, um, they respond to these incidents out of district as a courtesy. If they annexed out there, they wouldn't have to. Right. So how are you going to do that with volunteers? You would have to um, uh, professionalize the department. Then you're talking serious tax increase. Okay. Um, so it's all, you know, they get paid for training, but they don't get paid for responding, not even a stipend. Yeah. There's several paid positions there, but uh, the rank and file is largely volunteer. Now, finally, Doug, there's one more story I'm hoping you could highlight in this week's edition of the Times Independent, and that's about Utah's gender wage gap. Tell us about this. USU has done quite a bit of research. It's all part of the Utah uh, Women in Leadership Project. They put a whole bunch of uh, research together to determine that the gender gap, wage gap in Utah is the highest in the nation. 30% less than men in this doing the same job. It's it's huge. Um, We've published um, several stories on a whole bunch of things affecting uh, women in in Utah, but this right here, it actually made the, uh, the front page because it's, uh, it's stunning to me that the, that there's such a, a huge gap. I mean, 30%, that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's significant. Yeah, comparatively, you know, USU has in here that women, nationally women earn about 16 to 18% less than men. But like you're saying, in Utah, uh, it's quite a bit different. Right. I will say, in Utah State University's Utah Women and Leadership Project they do release a lot of data. They're doing a lot of um, data work. They're, they have, you know, lectures. And if people want to learn more, they do have a, a website. Um, they do. Yeah. And what I what I respect the most about it is it's, it's academic, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's all data-driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything that they're finding, they're, get, they're getting it firsthand. Right. It's really interesting. I think it's really beneficial, too. Doug McMurdo, editor of The Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Ballots will be mailed to all registered voters in Moab City next week for the municipal election. 
Moab City voters will be choosing two new city council members and a new mayor. Allison Hartford of the Moab Sun News created a voter guide for this week's edition. So the way that we decided to do our candidate coverage is we asked all of them the same questions. Um, and then basically I turned that into profiles about each candidate. Okay. Um, and we're also being like very transparent with everything that we talked about. So we wrote short profiles that basically cover each candidate, what they care about and kind of how they want to try to find solutions for these issues that they care about around Moab. And then we also did some common voting questions. A lot of those questions kind of concerned like voter registration requirements in Utah, especially because um, we have a huge population in Moab of people who are kind of like in and out and like living Mm -hmm. in their vans and maybe they don't have a permanent address, which Mm -hmm. a lot of the times it does require an address when you register to vote. But I talked to the Grand County clerk and we like answered a bunch of those questions. And then um, we also included kind of like just like a little brief introduction to ring choice voting. Okay. So there's a lot of information in there. Yeah. (laughs) First go to the candidates. You know, you said you asked all the candidates the same questions and kind of Mm -hmm. drew up profiles based on those questions. Any general topics that readers and listeners can expect to find in there? A lot of the city council candidates said that they're running either because they don't really like the way that the city is currently mm-hmm. running. They also care very deeply about affordable housing. Um, and so that was kind of like a pretty common theme, okay. at least with city council candidates. And then a few of them kind of talked about like climate resiliency and I guess like moving the sustainability department forward, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting because Mila Dunbar-Irwin is also making big moves as Mm -hmm. a sustainability director. Sure. So in addition to the candidate profiles, you said there's information about voter registration. Can you walk me through how, you know, I could get registered to vote today? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, So voter registration requirements in Utah are that you have to be a citizen of the U.S., You have to have been a resident of Utah for at least the 30 days immediately before the election, and you have to be 18 on the day of the election. Um, And then you have to currently reside within the voting district in which you apply to register to vote. Mm -hmm. So, like, I could register to vote in Utah because I live in this state now, but I can't vote in the city of Moab election because I technically live in the county. And how do you prove, you know, that you live here? Yeah, so um, you could show like a utility bill or like Mm -hmm. a paycheck or something. And when I was talking to the Grand County clerk, um, they did say that if you don't have a permanent address, and this is pertinent for like van life, People, um, if you don't have a permanent address, you would just have to prove that you do live in Moab um, if you wanted to vote in this election. And so you could do that with like a paycheck from Mm. the last couple months or something. Mm -hmm. They just need something to prove that you do live here. If you have a permanent address, Mm -hmm. you can pretty easily register to vote online. But um, if you don't have a permanent address, then the Grand County clerk will like help you out and you can go down to their office. And then for the homeless population who also don't have permanent addresses, um, they can use the Moab Valley Multicultural Center Mm. as an address to register to vote. So the Utah registration website is voter.utah.gov. And like Ali said, um, you can go to the Grand County Clerk's Office to get some help at 125 East Center Street. Another thing that you did mention in the Moabs and Needs Voter Guide is 
some information about ranked choice voting. Anything to highlight from this section of the voter guide? Yeah, so Moab is participating in this like pilot program for the state of Utah. So they're doing ranked choice voting. And so basically how it works is you'll get a list of all the candidates and Randall Fox and Norm Knapp, who both withdrew, will actually still be on that ballot. But any Mm -hmm. votes for them just like won't be counted. So you'll get this ballot kind of with a list of candidates and then you'll have to mark where they fall on your first through fifth choice. Um, So this will be really useful for the city council positions Mm -hmm. because whoever wins like 50% of the first choice will get the first seat and then it'll kind of like shuffle on from there. It eliminates the need for runoff elections Mm -hmm. um, and so ranked choice voting will allow for the city of Moab to have the results of the election like that night. So like you mentioned you know this will probably most definitely come into play with the city council election because there's two open seats. So that's like a multi-winner race. Mm -hmm. The mayor's race, it would only come into play if somebody doesn't get um, more than 50% of the vote. So anything else to mention from the Madison News' voter guide? Well, our intention is basically that you can kind of take out this little insert in the paper um, and just have it with you when you get your ballot. Sure. And then that'll lead you through, you know, who the candidates are mm-hmm. and any questions that you might have about what the ballot looks like. Okay, so you can grab a paper, grab a guide. Um, I also want to remind listeners, too, that Ali from the Mobs and News and Carter from the Times Independent will be joining us on Monday, mm-hmm. um, where we have our candidate roundtable from 4 to 7 p.m. The city council candidates will be there at 4, and the mayoral candidates will be there at 5.30. Um, if listeners can't stand three hours (laughs) of candidate talking um we will be recording this event so you can download and listen to it later and it's just another opportunity for us to ask the candidates questions and for you to hear from them over the airwaves yeah allison hartford staff reporter at the moab sun news subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com And that's the weekly newsreel where we check in with reporters on their latest coverage of the Moab area. Find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes of the news on our website and podcast. And thanks so much for tuning in and supporting KZMU Community Powered Radio.